Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization raising money for people who've experienced the sexual trauma of an STI diagnosis to receive mental health services. And today, I had the pleasure of getting tested here in St. Louis at an organization called Vibe and Health. Um, my experience was with Lee, and we always, Lee's tested me twice. Uh, I think this might have been the third time, actually. Um, and we always go through this process of going through everything so that I can get the full experience as if I'm someone who comes in and this is my first time getting tested. So uh, this was awesome to talk through the entirety of the process, um, especially since the most recent story about me having got chlamydia and tested positive and having gone to an urgent care. Now having these two experiences to compare, um, I advise you all to go to a specialist. <laughs> um, I spoke with Lee about different types of interactions that can take place when you're testing someone. And uh, there was a time where someone tested positive for HIV and Lee said that they spent an hour and a half with this particular client and just talking through everything with them and making sure that they had all the support that they needed at that moment before sending them off to a case manager. Uh, she said that she called up to uh, the office and was like, hey, I'm gonna be with this person for a while, you know, find someone to come and cover uh, the flow. So it wasn't like Lee trying to hurry up and get this person out of here. It was, I need to spend more time with them. We have the resources that we need and the processes in place for me to be able to do that. So. I was very happy that Lee shared this story with me because it really does speak volumes to what can be done from the side of delivering a diagnosis in order to better assist people who are navigating SCI stigma and a positive diagnosis upfront initially because this is often our first interaction with a positive diagnosis or even an STI in general. So it's very important that our mental health is taken care of throughout the process. So thank you, Lee, for sharing that story. And now I'm here with John, the Director of Prevention Services. John, how are you? I'm doing good, Courtney. Thanks for having me on. Good. It's good that you're doing good, especially given the times we're in. Uh, John and I are here roughly six, seven feet apart from one another with our masks on in the room where you might hear a little bit of hissing, but it's good because it drowns out all the other stuff that's going on. So... Uh, one of the things that I wanted to do with Something Positive for Positive People is to uplift the sexual health, sex education, sexual wellness related organizations that are providing good health care or providing good customer service. Because let's be honest, that's what it is. You're providing customer service to people. And y'all you, you, got it. <laughs> y'all got it. Um, I've had nothing but positive experiences each time I've come here to get tested and I have negative experiences to balance out, or not balance out, but to compare this to, uh, which makes it even more important that I uplift and share you all and your services with the audience. And I want to be able to let people know, like, hey, you can get really good, empathetic, compassionate, queer-friendly healthcare uh, in regards to your sexual health. How do y'all do that? Like, how do you... <laughs> what, what's, what's probably the... 
core of what Vivent has going on here. So yeah, so Vivent Health is um, it's sort of a newer organization. Uh, formerly, we were known as St. Louis Upper for AIDS. That organization had been around about 30 years. Um, and Lee, that you worked with in testing, uh, was actually one of the people who helped raise money to start that organization way back in the day. Um, when we merged with a larger organization, they were then called um, the AIDS Resource Center of Wisconsin, they had a plan to take their model their model for care for providing services and take it national because they were having such success, such great success. So when we merged with them, we were able to open, we went from just a small social services organization that provided some free testing and uh, case management for people living with HIV. Now we have our full medical clinic. Uh, we have a food pantry. We offer the free testing services. We have a, a very large case management department. Uh, we'll soon be opening, we're sitting in a behavioral health room right now, uh, recording this, we'll, we'll soon be opening our behavioral health services and our dental clinic will be opening very soon. Um, most of these services that we have are geared toward people living with HIV. So having been in the field for a long time, being uh, very familiar with, with the kinds of situations that people might be in and having worked with clients for many years, we can sort of anticipate what people might need. And so what we are able to do here is we're putting together what is known as a medical home. Um, basically a one-stop shop. You can come in and get uh, so many of your needs met in one place. Uh, eventually we'll have legal services as well for people living with HIV. Um, in terms of the testing that we offer, uh, we offer free HIV, uh, hepatitis C, syphilis, chlamydia, and gonorrhea testing. And uh, we are also, we've just started, uh, we just started last November uh, offering free STI treatment as well. Uh, so if you're insured, we will bill your insurance. If you're uninsured, we're going to treat you anyway. Uh, and the, I think one of the key things about the services that we offer is that we've really been thoughtful, we've tried to be thoughtful and very intentional about who we hire. We want people that come from the communities that are most affected by some of the, the, the um, other things that we test for. Uh, and so we have people from a very diverse group of people uh, from a lot of different communities and they know their folks. Um, we have uh, someone on our staff who identifies as a transgender woman, for example. When a trans client comes here, they see a face that is welcoming, that understands them, and they know from the minute they walk in that this is a place for them. That's what we really strive for. Uh, I'm very pleased to uh, share that um, our medical director, Dr. Summers, a wonderful guy, he is actually one of the few uh, doctors in town that um, the local transgender organization, the Metropolitan Transgender Umbrella Group, He's one of the, of the very few doctors that they will refer people to. So we really do try to make it a welcoming place for everybody, and we want everyone to see a face that looks like theirs. Yeah, and so when you speak to that, I think about some of the services that Something Positive for Positive People is aiming to begin to provide. Uh, when I started this, hearing from people who were struggling with their diagnosis, uh, talking about wanting to end their lives and commit suicide, I was always like, hey, it's okay, it's not that bad. Hearing it from me didn't really carry the same weight as hearing it from someone who could more so identify with their life experiences. 
And then even now, when with me being so public about my HSV status and having people find me and connect with me on the fact that I present as a black male, uh, fairly young, 30, almost 32 years old, uh, that does something for people. And people are able to more so open up in a way that you're better able to assist them to navigate whatever services they need, whatever healing they need. So I completely understand uh, the importance of having that diversity within so that when different people come in from various populations, they can be served in a way that they're able to really open up to someone because they look like them. Yeah. And on one hand, you know, that may look a certain kind of way or it may look like oh, it's racist because I'm black, you're going to treat me with a black person. No, that isn't the case. This is more, this, it's about the intention here. And the intention is to create that sense of sameness, so to speak. And the impact of that has proven to be more effective than not. Yeah, I would agree with you. I would, I would definitely agree with you. Um, and, you know, another aspect to that, too, is that we have people who are living with HIV, we have people who are on the HIV prevention medication. We have people from, not just from different racial, ethnic groups, uh, gender identities, etc., but also we have people with, uh, with different uh, diagnoses that they live with that, so that they can share. Um, and oftentimes what we're able to do is if, a, if, a, if there's a client or a patient here in a particular situation, we can pick the right person to, to speak with them, to help them, to talk them through some of those, some of those maybe scary issues that they're having, that, 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 um, that panic that sometimes, that trauma that sometimes people experience when they receive a diagnosis. Uh, and so, so that is something that we, that we also try to do. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that I'm thinking of as you speak through being able to talk to so many different, uh, different angles of here, all of the services that you all provide, we're talking about, uh, you, you mentioned there's going to be behavioral health, there's going to be a dental office, there's medical staff, you can get your medication here. This is literally a one-stop shop. And when I was talking to Lee, I asked Lee, hey, what happens if I'm positive for HIV? And what Lee said was, we've already gotten a disclaimer that when, so I got tested and I've already signed a disclaimer that if I'm positive, they're able to treat me, like Vivin is able to treat me right away. So I come in and I get my test, and if my test is reactive, then I get whatever treatment uh, is necessary at that point in time, and everything's in one place. So there's no multiple contacts, and what happens if I test outside of Vivin Health, let's say I go down the street to a local health facility, sure. let's just call it that, sure. and if I get tested and my results come back positive, it's here you go, here your, here's your status. And you're kind of forced to deal with that on your own. And so what's impressive here is that all of the services that you'll need can be offered in one place. So you can be here for however long you need to be here, ask whatever questions you need to have, get all the information and the resources that you need so that when you walk out of here, you're not lost, you're not scrambling on Google or Reddit and finding uh, looking for pictures like confirming or anything like that. You have a person right here that you're able to have a face-to-face -face interaction with and walk you through what it is that you're going through, and they have the relatability element. Yeah, I, 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 I really appreciate you bringing that up. Um, 
I think one of the great advantages uh, for the clients that come here for testing, uh, like you said, if someone does test positive for an STI, we can get them treated. Uh, if they test positive with the rapid test where they receive a, the HIV result in about 20 minutes, uh, if that comes back reactive, we can get them seen in the medical clinic. They will make, make time to see someone in the medical, uh, the medical clinic. Uh, and very often people come in, receive their test um, results, <clears throat> are seen in the clinic, and leave with HIV medication in this, on the same day. And that is our goal. Uh, there are sort of national goals around how we reduce the, um, the, uh, the number of infections and, and, and how, we, um, how we go about getting services to people that are living with HIV. And often they'll say the goal is to have someone linked to care within 30 days. And we can do it within within 30 seconds yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we need to. So it's, you're right, you know, receiving a diagnosis, it can be really traumatic for folks. And um, I know when I've tested in the past, I, um, I was really scared, you know? And even when I sort of thought, well, I, you know, I'm not, I haven't really been at risk but I'm about to hear something so serious and the impact could be so great, especially years ago when I wasn't as familiar with um, what it's like to live with HIV. Um, it, was, it was really frightening, really frightening. And so here we think of more, we sort of envelop that person. You know, we can have linkage to care folks, talk to them immediately. They see the doctor, they can meet a case manager and that case manager will stick with them for years if need be. Uh, making sure that they uh, are receiving the services that they need, that they are signed up for the right things, that they have their paperwork in order. Um, and one of the things that we really do strive to do is to make our services available to anyone regardless of their ability to pay. Now, there are obviously some limitations to that, but if you're living with HIV, we've got you, Yeah, basically. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's great. Um, I was going to say something, you, you sparked something as you were speaking, but uh, one of the things that I'm going to just, I, I'll put a pin in that, hopefully it okay. comes back to right. me, but uh, the food pantry, mm -hmm. yes. I was curious about that. Why does there, why does an HIV, why does an organization that serves people with HIV have a food pantry? What's right. that about? So the food pantry, I think to qualify as, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that, that term medical home, an HIV medical home, it is one of the services that we're um, supposed to have in order to call ourselves an HIV medical home. Many of our clients do uh, experience sort of food insecurity uh, and, 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 you know, um, homelessness, all sorts of issues they might be experiencing. Um, you know, oftentimes we'll say, um, we'll say something like um, treating, keep, keeping someone who is living with HIV in medical care and on treatment, that is, um, that is the goal. But you can't expect somebody to show up for all their appointments and really think about their health if they're having to worry about where they're going to sleep, about where they're, you know, how, how they're going to eat. And so um, sort of providing those wraparound services yeah. is really important. And, you know, we have a, a, a really clear picture. Of, of course, HIV affects people across the spectrum, all, you know, all sorts of diverse groups. However, we do know where the, the majority of infections come from. We can look at the numbers over the years, and we've seen the trends. And we really stay on top of that so that we can uh, be prepared for the folks and the needs that they may have. Okay. So what I'm hearing here is that, 
you're providing the essential services so that people can do, I consider healthcare essentially at this point because it's something that has to be paid for. You have to make a decision. Like for instance, myself, I don't have healthcare because I don't, I can't afford it, right? So for the people who are unable to afford the luxury of healthcare, you gotta make a decision. Do I want healthcare or do I wanna eat right yeah. now? You know, so those decisions are immediate. And I say that to preface the next statement, which is, how do you expect me to get to my appointments? How do you expect me to get my treatment, my medication, if I gotta worry about where my next meal is gonna come from? Exactly. And so you exactly. all are caring for those essentials, the uh, and even transportation, I believe, like you're helping with transportation to all of the appointments as well. Yeah. So you're removing a lot of the basic human need obstacles to receive the healthcare that is needed. Where's the rest of the United States on this? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Vivant's model of the HIV medical home, as I said, in with the state of Wisconsin, they were very successful with that. And now we are in, obviously, St. Louis, where we are now, also in Denver, and our newest location is in Austin. And so we are really taking this model and repl replicating it nationwide uh, and uh, because, because it is so successful. Um, one of the things that, that you mentioned, we, we were talking a little bit about food and how people, if they have, uh, don't know where their next meal is coming from, how can you expect them to prioritize um, doctor's appointments, whatever it is. Uh, another, another wrinkle to that that I think is really neat, we have a program to provide um, food and essential supplies for people's pets. So if you are living with HIV and you have a companion animal, we know how people feel about their pets, right? Yeah. Uh, I know how I, how I am with mine. <clears throat> and if it comes down to, do I pay for this over here that I need, or do I make sure my dog is fed? Um, we remove that, you know, yeah. that as, as another layer. And one of the things that, that we've seen over time is that um, it's, 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 maybe it's less of an issue now than it was in the past, say in the 80s, uh, but a lot of times there's a, well, there's a lot of stigma. I'm not, uh, stigma is, is still That's here. It's something that, that people struggle on, yeah. with for sure. Uh, but social isolation was a real issue, is a real issue for a lot of people. If someone is diagnosed with HIV, they feel their family, their family may put them out. Their friends, you know, don't want anything to do with them anymore. Depending on, you know, that person and their social circles, they may find themselves being socially isolated. And social isolation is terrible for one's health, terrible for one's immune system. And so it really goes against everything we try to do when we, when we want to uh, work with people that are living with HIV and make sure that they are healthy. So, um, so if, a, if a pet is someone's... Um, companion, then yes, we want that to be taken care of. Yeah. So so we do try to think, you know, sort of holistically about the person and what all the needs might be. Yeah, because when I was waiting in the lobby, I saw someone carting out two huge bags of dog food. And I was <laughs> like, what's this about? And that was the first time I had seen that. I knew that you all had a food pantry, but, you know, it clicks now that you are saying this, the importance of an animal, uh, the companion of a person. You know, I've seen people treat their... Dogs like babies, <laughs> you know, like right. more important, like, am I going to eat or is my dog going to eat? Here, you, you eat this. That's the level of support that we put into and receive from our pets. Now, while we're on the subject of isolation, we've mm -hmm. been in the time of COVID-19 and there was a period where everything was shut down. Right. How were you all affected and how did you handle continuing to serve the community 
during that period? Well, I, th I think you alluded to a, a couple of things when we first started talking. We were talking about our masks and how we're, we're um, uh, separated uh, several feet. Um, when COVID first became a real issue in the U.S., uh, in, I, would, I think it was mid-March, we, uh, just to take the time to make sure we knew what we were dealing with and how to proceed safely, we basically shut down all of our services except for medical emergencies or a newly diagnosed person. Those were things that were prioritized and we, and we would always see them. We also shifted the prevention folks, my, my, the, people, the staff that I have and my team, they normally do the testing and the prevention work. They sort of got shifted to other to doing other activities. Uh, I started running the uh, food pantries, food delivery. Uh, we started, we don't normally deliver food, but during that, that, those few months, we, we would deliver food to any of the case management clients. We have well over a thousand case management clients. I, I don't even know the number. Um, no, that see our case managers upstairs, yes. Were these like mass deliveries? We're talking about a food truck, hey, meet us here and we'll give you food or were these door-to-door -door deliveries? Door-to-door, -door. Okay. this is very specifically for patients that, uh, that ask for it. So for several weeks, for, for a few months actually, we were delivering food, we were seeing people that had medical emergencies or uh, were newly diagnosed. And, um, and slowly we, you know, once we learned, okay, we see what this is, we know how to be safe, the, the, the guidelines are out there, we know what we need to do. Um, we were able to, to I believe uh, in uh, July, we were able to open up our services a little bit more and now we're able to offer, whereas we used to have walk-in testing services, now we do them by appointment only. Uh, but we're able to, to still provide those services while maintaining the, the help of the, the clients and the patients, certainly, but also the staff. So uh, you may have noticed when you come in, there's a, a oh, little desk yeah. <laughs> set up at the front, and we're going to make sure we're going to ask you a bunch of questions about your health and your potential exposure to COVID. Make sure you have a face mask before you can enter yeah. and come on in. If somebody, if one of our patients is experiencing those symptoms, we can also test them oh. for uh, for COVID. But that is really um, just because of the availability of the tests is something that we reserve for for our patients. Yeah. Okay. And that was one of the questions things that when I walked in, the precautions that were taken, there's the hand sanitizer, there's the security guard at the front and, you know, just asking, have you been out of the country? Uh, have you, are you coughing? Are you, do you have a fever? Right. Are you sick? Basically, stay home if you're sick. Yep. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Yep. So, all right, it sounds like you all took all of the precautions that you possibly could take. What services were not available? We, um, one of the things that we stopped doing and we're, we're still, we still haven't resumed is off-site testing. One of the things that we like to do, we feel is really important, is we go out to various places around the city, around the county, uh, and offer free uh, testing services. Uh, we, we also have sort of educational programming and other things that we offer as well, uh, but testing is one of those things that, that um, I think is a really vital service that we're able to get out in the community and offer. So we have a couple of staff people who are um, just pros at working with, let's say, those commercial sex workers. Uh, they've spent the time, they put in the hours so that they're trusted by uh, these folks and they're able to, when they drive up uh, in our mobile vehicle, they know who it is and sometimes there'll be like a gatekeeper who'll say, oh, this one over here, I'm gonna go get her, she needs to come get tested. Um, so we have sort of embedded ourselves in the community um, and uh, we haven't resumed doing that, that sort of testing. Um, we are looking at the, uh, how to go about, how can we safely resume testing out in the community outside of our 
facility uh, in the safest way. We're looking at what, you know, what are controlled environments where we can offer this. We want to be able to, to control uh, the environment so that everyone is, is safe. Uh, so that's one of the things that, that I think we're all anxious to get back to. Okay. Now, when we talk about safety here, uh, sex work at this point has not yet been decriminalized, to my understanding. So is there any type of uh, ethical lines that you all have to navigate being an organization that is working with sex workers and providing them services? Uh, sure. I mean, I think, I think a lot of the work that we do in prevention um, kind of skirts a line sometimes. And we have to be very clear about where that line is for, our, for ourselves. A lot of times the people that um, are working in prevention are also members of communities. And so um, if, if somebody's out at a club, they're known as somebody who does HIV prevention work over here. So they might get asked questions about sexual health or they might get judged if they're like a little bit, you know, acting a little wild or crazy, they might get judged because you know, uh, some of our, our staff are, are very well known in the, in the community. And so, so the, those lines, you know, are really important to think about. But <clears throat> being um, non-judgmental, being empathetic to the people who most need the services is really important. And, and you know, we are able to draw that line and say, we, can we want to offer you all these services. We're not going to necessarily condone everything you do. We're not going to necessarily worry about the legality of what you're doing because we have a very specific concern for you know for your health. So yeah, basically, there's no kind of immunity, I guess, from any type of legal action or anything like that. And you're also, it, it, it like you said, it is a matter of trust. It's a matter of being in the community more than anything, uh, and it there is no real ethical uh, backlash, I guess, from the community because you serve sex workers? No, okay. no, um, not at all. And, you know, I would say that, that we can sort of think about that in other ways, too. We also go, there's a local um, gay men's bathhouse, um, more or less a sex club. What's a bathhouse? <laughs> all right. It's more, more or less a sex club. <laughs> I've heard uh, it several times, and I'm just like, I don't know why I thought, like, jacuzzi or something. Well, they, I'm sure there's a jacuzzi, a pool, a uh, little gym, you know, um, and then a lot of little private rooms that people can rent. Uh, and, you know, these are in major cities all across the, the country and, and the world, actually, I'm sure. Uh, but we go there and test. They have a community room, is what they call it. Uh, and we're able to set up our little plexiglass divider and we're able to test people in there, make sure everybody has a, you know, a mask on. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we're in there. We're not necessarily, we're not, certainly not judging people. We, we are, are, are totally open. Um, we are really concerned with one thing, and that's what we focus on. Mm -hmm. uh, it is important that we, um, that we remain, I, would, you know, I like to say sex positive, yeah. um, without condoning any uh, or judging any particular behaviors. You know, another thing that's really interesting that just came to mind is we get people to come in. I'm sure you know this. You, you'll hear people refer to different body parts or different sexual acts with different slang, different yeah. terms, and different things come along. I'll hear something that it's so like, all oh, these kids have changed the terminology again. <laughs> uh, but we need, our staff needs to be able to speak to people to understand them and, and also speak, speak their language more or less. So that's another aspect of, of you know, what, kind of what we do. Okay. Where we are in 2020, where if you are 
positive, you get on treatment, uh, you get your viral load down to undetectable, which means you're untransmittable, you equals you. Um, how is it that there's still stigma prevalent if essentially there's no impact on anyone else because the person who is aware of their status, which we all should be, is doing something about it, which we all should be, yeah. and protecting themselves by being treated and protecting their partners by keeping their viral load undetectable and keeping up with their medical appointments. Yeah, it is really interesting. And I think that the you mentioned U equals U, the undetectable equals untransmittable. Basically what we're mean what we say well what we mean by that is if you're on your meds and you're seeing your doctor and you're having your lab uh, lab work done uh, when you're supposed to, you'll reach a point where the virus is so so uh, controlled, well controlled in your body that you you can't even pass it to someone else. Um, you would think then that that stigma that's always been associated with HIV with I'm going to use the old term AIDS. Yeah. We really don't use that term very much anymore. You won't you won't hear it very often. Um, <clears throat> But there's so much there's so much stigma associated with that term, and and with and with HIV and so U equals U I think really that the campaign to sort of educate everyone about that I think is really important not only to confront stigma but also to to um, let people living with HIV know that they are not vectors of disease they are not a threat to the public health they are not a threat to to, to anyone uh, because of their HIV status. Um, but it's, you know, stigma is, I, I would say, sort of like a moral panic. It's very easy to drum that up and, and make it, you know, scare everyone. But then it's very difficult to sort of tame that and, and change people's minds after, after the, all those thoughts and ideas are already in place. Um, one of the things, though, that I think is really interesting that, that is related to that is for several years now, we have had, and so many people out there don't know this, we have had what we call PrEP. Uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis. And that is basically medication that you take on a daily basis that will protect you from ever contracting HIV. So you could be exposed to it, but you've already got this medication in your system that is going to keep that virus from uh, taking root in your system. Yeah. So uh, I'm personally, uh, I'm on PrEP myself. Um, early on, people were a little bit leery, like let's wait and see if this really works. <laughs> yeah. Then we realized it does really work. But we were recommending it in the beginning. The rec official recommendations were for people at very high risk. Okay. But these days, you know, if you're if you're in one of the groups um, that say you're say you're a gay man, um, that is traditionally and still is, you know, sort of the largest um, uh, group that that contracts HIV. Unfortunately, um, let's say you're a gay man. You're not in a monogamous relationship. Why would you not take this medication, right? Uh, even if you're not, you know, in the, ch the choices you make with your, your sexual activities, even if you're not putting yourself at high risk, the peace of mind yeah. is just wonderful. So, um, so we're really promoting that. So now we have people who are HIV negative. They're taking PrEP, right? So they're really being responsible with their sexual health. We have people that are HIV positive, but they're undetectable. So what we're seeing is instead of it's a, it's a black or white, yes or no, you're positive or negative, now we're seeing it's more, it's really a continuum. And if we think of it that way, everybody has a responsibility to know their status. As you said, everybody has the responsibility to think about their, their sexual health 
everyone should be, you know, be educated about these things, especially if you are a member of a group that, that has higher rates. Okay. One of the reasons that, um, that we see the, the higher rates in certain communities is certainly not some sort of moral failing of a particular uh, community, one or another, uh, but these things travel in communities. You know, where do people meet their partners? Um, and so when a community is infected, it uh, affected, I shouldn't say infected, affected, when a community is really affected by it, then it tends to spread within that community. When we talk about prep, when I asked Lee downstairs, um, I got some questions that were just basically assessing if I were high risk. And I just flat out asked, who's for prep, or who's prepped for? And Lee responds, everybody who's having sex. And I feel like, I'm wondering if perhaps there's a point in time where that actually is a thing because I think about the dating world we're in where your next sexual partner is literally a thumb swipe away from you, a yeah. text message away from you. Yeah. Uh, and someone who may be single but not identify as non-monogamous, you know, all of these varying factors, condoms, communication, getting tested, and perhaps, you know, like being the whisperer in that messaging being an option, do you see that as uh, potentially being a thing to where prep creeps its way into uh, like the society that we live in as a means of STD prevention with mainstream messaging? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that um, the groups that are most affected uh, by uh, HIV uh, are the groups that have uh, more than any others, you know, uh, really uh, embraced the idea of prep and, and said, well, you know, this is worth it. Uh, but there are so many people that that could benefit from it, uh, and and could benefit from it obviously for the protection, but also just for the peace of mind alone. Uh, there are so many, and so you know one of the things that we're gonna be doing. Uh, I'll give you a little preview here. Uh, one of the things that we're gonna be doing. You heard it first here. <laughs> uh, in a few months, I'm not. We don't have the exact timeline, but um, we're gonna be having a campaign that promotes prep, you know, you're gonna see billboards, you're gonna see all sorts of advertising, you might even see a commercial on the local news um, that's going to be promoting prep, and specifically we're targeting um, young African-American African gay bisexual men. Uh, we, I guess, use a, a, the term men who have sex with men to sort of encompass people who, may, you know, maybe they identify as gay by, or they don't identify that they are having sex with other men. Um, so we're focusing on African-American men who have sex with men, as well as transgender women, especially transgender women of color. So in this campaign that's going to be out there, all of the images, the, the people that you see, the faces that you see are these people where, you know, we're saying like, like, this is for you. You can benefit, you know, this. So it's not going to be uh, an ad campaign where somebody's going to look at it and think, oh, oh that's a gay man. Right. So hopefully, hopefully it will um, reach those other communities that could really be benefiting from it. Got it. Yeah. Now, uh, going to the other end of the spectrum here, with increased PrEP use, we may see fewer new cases of HIV, but does that also run the risk of us seeing more of different infections? That was a real concern in the beginning. Uh, in fact, there are some really well-known organizations, I won't name any, anyone, but um, that didn't promote PrEP and were sort of against it. And in the beginning, there was actually a, a really derogatory term. People would say, oh, you're on PrEP, you're a, the name of the medication, the first medication that was approved is Truvada. And they'd say, you're a Truvada whore. 
you're just on that pill so you can go out and get crazy with everybody and do it however you want to as many times. And that was really uh, shocking to me that, that people were taking that, that um, having that, 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 uh, that response to it. Uh, there was a concern that, okay, people are going to stop using condoms. The recommendation is to you know, still it's, use a it's condom. It's like a synergy. Uh, it's like a synergistic effect yeah. where you communicate, know your status, wear condoms. Oh, and you have prep, or you're on prep. Yeah. So and, and that partner you're with, they're HIV positive, but they are undetectable. Mm -hmm. So everybody so all is. All of this, yeah, yes. All of those things working together. There's no way transmission is going to happen. Um, but so the fear was, yeah, condom, condom use is going to go out the window, and we're going to see tons more syphilis, chlamydia, gonorrhea, etc. And, and, you know, in some studies, there have been slight increases in other STI infections, but um, overall, from a public health perspective, those are curable things. <laughs> those are treatable, curable things, whereas HIV is a lifelong infection mm -hmm. at this point. At this point, it still is. So, um, so it's, a, it's, it, it's not been the horrible rise in, in STDs that so many people were predicting. We have not seen that. How, you know, but if there are uh, some, that's okay. Uh, we'll do what we gotta do, get them treated, and hopefully you know, people will understand that uh, PrEP is not, um, it's a weapon in your arsenal, but it's not the only thing you should be using. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Because yeah, I can totally see that you know, on both ends. It's like, hey, I'm responsible, I'm responsible ways where I am utilizing all of the resources that I have and then I have on the other end of the spectrum you know me being reckless like oh I can't get any of the incurable ones cool and then going out and you know if you do end up testing positive it's all right I'll just get it taken care of and having that attitude so what happens is regardless of how reckless a person may be taking responsibility for what they feel are the biggest concerns if you're someone who is as responsible as can be and you're taking all the precautions you are, those two things negate each other and it creates like this neutrality. And I think this was a term that you used when we had our uh, phone call uh, about like neutrality when it comes to talking about HIV status. Was that, yeah. was that a thing or am I making Yeah, it I, I, right. you're exactly right. And I think, I think I was sort of getting at that when I was talking about it being a, a, a spectrum. Instead of it's not black and white, you're either positive or negative, that there really is a spectrum. Uh, and and uh, and so yeah, I, I think that that is a, a much healthier way to to approach you know thinking about sexual health. Um, I was just going to mention as well, prep right now is a single pill that you take once a day. Um, <clears throat> originally, I mentioned Truvada, the name of one of the drugs. Um, that was the only thing for many years uh, that was approved for prep, and uh, now uh, there's been a sort of a very similar drug created by the same company, but it, it uh, has a few less um, long-term uh, potential uh, outcomes. Uh, Truvada, it, 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 it can affect your kidneys, it can affect bone density, but those are things that uh, is not going to happen right away. And if you don't have any issues with those things to start with, you're probably going to be fine. And when you're on prep, every 90 days you get tested. They run some basic tests. 
Um, and so they're going to be aware if any of that stuff is happening. With the newer drug, that is not, those issues are, those issues are gone. It's an even better drug. However, insurance companies are wanting you to use the lesser expensive drug, and now there's a, there's a, a generic out. So I went from Truvada to the, uh, the newer drug, and then now I'm back on the, on the, um, the generic just because that's what my insurance company did. But, you know, another thing, uh, well, there's a lot of research being done. There are long-acting injections. There's also implants are being tested. So it could be that in a couple of years you would get an implant, much like uh, women get for birth control, an implant um, in the underside of your bicep, and that would protect you. You'd be protected for a year, perhaps. Yeah. Now, this is unapproved, and yeah. we can't guarantee it, but these, these are the things that are being studied. So there's going to be so many options for people. So this is a constant evolution process. Uh, when Lee did my test downstairs for HIV, I mentioned uh, that it looked kind of like uh, a pregnancy test where you pee on a stick. Yep. But in this case, yep. it was blood on a stick, and then you get your results in 20 minutes. So this is how far we've come. We can find out if you're negative for HIV in 20 minutes. We can find out if another test needs to be done within 20 minutes. And that's where we are in relation to uh, the developments of treating HIV. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's absolutely right. <clears throat> um, with the, the test, there's actually a test that, that produces a result in one minute. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. Uh, more expensive than the test that we use, and we with the test that we use, we uh, our testing is is partially funded by uh, it's funds from the CDC that are funneled through to the state and then to our local city health department. Uh, when those funds come to us, we are given a choice of uh, a limited choice of the tests that we can use. Um, but there are you know many many options out there, and more always are being uh, studied and tested. So. Now, uh, we're coming to a close on this recording here. All right. So uh, I want to give you space for anything that's going on at Vibant that we need to inform the world about, uh, inform St. Louis about right. um, in relation to the services that you provide, any events, any uh, ways that people can get involved. What do you all need right now? Um, well, the, I think I hit on a lot of the things I would really want to get out there. We do offer uh, free HIV and STI testing for those, for those that qualify, for pretty much anybody, we will uh, test you for syphilis and HIV. Uh, there are some, because of our funding source, they have some, a little bit of, of a few criteria around uh, you have to have a certain type of risk uh, that you've encountered before we would offer you these other tests. But for those that, that qualify, we're able to offer um, a number of those tests. For people that are having signs or symptoms of an STI, they can come in here and get presumptively treated. So we will take care of those signs and symptoms before we even get a test result back on you. If you are insured, we'll gladly bill your insurance. But if you're not insured, we can still get you treated. Um, and the other thing that I think is really important, we were talking a lot about PrEP. Um, if you are insured, you can be a patient here in our medical clinic and receive your primary care, all of your health care, uh, if you are a PrEP patient. If you are uninsured, we will still uh, see you, not for all of your primary care, but for PrEP services, we will absolutely see you. And with the various uh, patient assistance programs out there, we are able to get the medication covered for free for, for anybody. We can always get the medication covered. Um, and there may be uh, small uh, 
fees for some of the lab work that's done, but we do it on a sliding scale, so we try, really try to make it available to anyone who wants it. So those are the main things um, that, that I would like to, uh, for every, everybody to sort of know about what we do. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about all this. I appreciate it. And just to wrap around to some of the barriers to testing are often accessibility, cost, fear, and stigma, shame, and then also, I think I might have already said cost, but we've just dealt with, addressed each and every one of those. So at one point, Vivint was called St. Louis Effort for AIDS. And, you know, just in the title alone, perhaps going into a building called Effort for AIDS and someone seeing you or seeing someone you know, that may be some internalized stigma because you think, oh, well, if, I'm, if someone sees me here, they're going to think I have an STD. We've eradicated that with the name change. The time it takes to get tested, I got my HIV results in 20 minutes, got the test done, filled out all the paperwork, and was up here getting ready for this interview And after that 20 minutes was up. And I'll have my results back in roughly 10 days. Uh, as far as the, like I said, cost goes, if you have insurance, build insurance. And if you meet the criteria for services for free, then you get the services for free. The fear of testing positive and walking out of here and not knowing what to do. We talked about the level of care that you're going to receive. We talked about you being able to, you know, if someone has to sit with you for a while, the level of customer service here has been unmatched by anything else that I've ever seen. So someone will sit with you, talk to you, and get you to the place where you need to be before you go off with your case manager and begin the next steps of the process and everything is done here in-house. And so regardless of where you are, uh, even the dangers of uh, potentially being outed as a sex worker, you know, we've already addressed that as well. Having uh, rapport in the community and trust within the community and being able to serve people who otherwise may not be able to access these services. Think about like the time, operating times that you would normally go in to get tested somewhere. So we've got people here who are going out into the community in order to offer these services. So it's very important that we support, uplift, utilize the services of organizations that are so invested and so good and sex positive and providing the services. And I got probably 50 condoms in my bag right now after having gotten tested. So there's no excuse for anyone to be able to say, oh, well, I don't have a condom or I'm not using condoms or condoms are expensive. I just got 50 condoms for free, right? So these resources are available to you. It's a matter of finding them. And when we find them, utilize them. The more people who are utilizing these services, the more money that can be raised, the more it can be justified to meet the demand that we as the consumers are creating. So it is very important that we get out here, we get tested, we know our status, and we get treated. And, you know, perhaps there can be a time where we end HIV. All right, that's it for me. That's it for my rant. Uh, and John, if you want to close out with anything else, I don't know if anything might have popped up in your head while I was talking just now, but we've got a solid 12 minutes, 44 seconds before I need to turn this off. Um, I, the last thing I'll say is I would just encourage everyone to to um, think about think about their sexual health and think about their risk. And if you were thinking that you need to be tested, get tested. Um, 
an HIV diagnosis these days, we talked about how it can be traumatic, how it can be devastating for someone. Um, these days, you know, HIV is a man manageable condition. It's a manageable condition in, this, in the way that diabetes is. And in fact, I've had people living with HIV who also are living with diabetes, and they've said diabetes is a lot more of a pain in their ass <laughs> than HIV ever is. The stigma is the thing that, that really uh, oftentimes keeps people, they say, I just don't even want to know. Um, but these days, it's, it's a whole different game. HIV is, is a manageable condition, so, so that, hopefully that can help people overcome the fear and, and you know, uh, take charge of their sexual health. All STIs are curable or manageable, period. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, subscribe to, share this podcast wherever you're able to listen and share in a way that feels in alignment with you. Uh, the 501c3 nonprofit organization is continuing to raise money to provide these mental health services for people who are struggling with SCI stigma. So if you want to support us monetarily, you can visit www spfpp.org and you scroll down a little bit you'll see a bunch of different options for you to be able to donate um, and if you want to get involved if you want to interview if you have connections to potential donors funding opportunities grants or uh, guests who want to be on the podcast or hell anyone who wants to interview me even please don't hesitate to reach out I'm accessible especially on Instagram at h on my chest or you can email me directly at Courtney at spfpp.org Till next time, stay sex positive.